Welcome to another episode of the Old Soul Movie Podcast, a show that features backgrounds, reviews, and reflections of some of the most influential movies ever made. And now your hosts. Hello and welcome back to the Old Soul Movie Podcast, everyone. We are joined by Isabella here. Hi. Hi, everyone. And we have a very exciting episode. And do you know why that is? Why is that, Emma? Because it was picked by you all, or at least all of you on Instagram. (laughs) So we had our annual March Madness story poll tournament on Instagram And what a turnout it was. For those of you that didn't vote online, this was essentially our competition in Ode to March Madness. In our West Coast, we had Charade versus Funny Face, The Philadelphia Story versus The Man Who Knew Too Much, National Velvet versus Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, Pride of the Yankees versus Meet John Doe. And then on our East Coast side, we had The Seven Year Itch, versus Niagara, Bringing Up Baby versus Notorious, To Catch a Thief versus Dial M for Murder, To Kill a Mockingbird versus Cape Fear. And we had so many close votes. We had actually a couple revotes in this whole process. And our championship round was between Charade with Audrey Hepburn and To Catch a Thief with Grace Kelly, both movies featuring Cary Grant, both movies on a French international mystery of sorts. One Hitchcock, one Hitchcock knockoff. It was very close. We had to do a revote and alas, Charade won. So here we are. Very exciting. I think this movie is so, so cute. It's been kicked around a couple of times to see if we would do this one or not. So I'm so happy that we're finally doing it because it is, it's just a light, easy, breezy one. It's good for spring. And honestly, I was telling Isabella, this is one of those movies of the old movie category that I think does translate really well today. I think a modern audience person of 2023 could watch this movie and be just as charmed and enamored with it as someone from 1963. So here we go. Charade, 1963. Oh, wow. 60 years ago. Oh, wow. Oh, that's kind of gross when you say it like that. (laughs) (laughs) Anniversary. (laughs) Exciting. But the basic premise of this film is that romance and suspense ensue in Paris as a woman is pursued by several men who want the fortune her murdered husband had stolen. Whom can she trust? (laughs) So it's it's, it's fun. It's, you know, it's a fun little plot. And this is an extremely accessible movie. It's for sure available to stream on Amazon Prime and YouTube. uh, YouTube for free. Uh, So yes, this is very easily found. Almost too easily found, but a little bit more on that in a bit. I'm not going to lie. I kind of had a little trouble. I mean, my natural place to look was Amazon Prime. I went there and I I think it took like the fourth or fifth like try to get the right one because all of them just kept coming up unavailable for me. But maybe that was just a me problem. No, I think there might 
be a reason for that, honestly. Uh, so stay tuned. Oh. I can't tell for sure, but I have I have my theories and suspicions. Uh, and this is actually a brand spanking new addition to the National Film Registry by the Library of Congress. Wow. Uh, in 2022, it was selected for preservation for being culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. Hmm. So that is pretty cool. So let's go over the basics as always. We have Stanley Donan directing this film. We have the screenplay by Peter Stone. It is based off of the short story from 1961, The Unsuspecting Wife by Peter Stone and Mark Ben. It is produced by Stanley Donan. The cinematography is by Charles Lang. The music is by Henry Mancini, a very accomplished composer. He wrote the Pink Panther theme, and he also wrote Moon River song from another Audrey Hepburn classic, Breakfast at Tiffany's. It is from the Stanley Donen Films production company distributed by Universal. Its running time is a sweet 113 minutes. Its budget was $3 million and its box office was $13.4 million. So none too shabby. We have a terrific cast here. Cary Grant as Peter Joshua. Maybe a few other names. We'll see. <laughs> we have Audrey Hepburn as Regina Reggie Lampert. Audrey Hepburn, I mean, a goddess. We've covered her films before many a time. So this is really interesting to me. Um, so Cary Grant was 58 when this was filming and uh, had a 25-year age difference with Audrey Hepburn. She was 33 at the start of filming. So, which is kind of interesting because I can't remember what year it came out, but there's a movie called Love in the Afternoon with Audrey Hepburn that I think Cary Grant was considered for but he was like i'm way too old for her i can't be in that movie and um they cast gary cooper in that role instead um and that was a huge criticism of that movie that there was such a big age difference so it this time period is really interesting because you're seeing these guys who have been around for a very long time who have been actors you know silent film era 30s and so on that are now being paired with these young, hot, new actresses on the scene. So I think that the ageism that we've seen throughout the decades of Hollywood, we can start analyzing, okay, when when did we first kind of start seeing this pop up? So anyway, Cary Grant did agree to do this movie, had a fabulous time filming with Audrey Hepburn. He actually said all he wanted for Christmas was to film another movie with her. Uh, I think oh. he campaigned to have her in his final movie. I think she tried doing something similar. This was the only movie I believe they made together. But it was a good time. Now, all that being said, Cary Grant, uncomfortable with the age gap between them playing romantic interests. Uh, so to address this issue, the writers basically allowed him to add in some dialogue that poked fun at their age difference that having him comment on how young she was like calling her a minor or calling her Juliet 15 or any of that stuff yes then they had Reggie the Audrey Hepburn character be more of the pursuer so it wasn't like where she was into him where it wasn't like this older guy uncomfortably hitting on this younger girl I think that was probably a smart move and to be quite honest so considerate so thoughtful it was very considerate I 
am kind of surprised there was that much of an age difference between the two of them. He, for whatever reason, I feel like he looks much, much older in this movie than 58. Did you say 58? Yep. Yeah, that's, I don't know why he looked a lot older than 58. Um, and maybe that was just like part of the like like not set design but like maybe just like the artistic choice and like costume design I don't know but he looked a lot older so I mean I thought it was like an interesting pairing but (laughs) I I did appreciate that they threw in the lines of like oh you're so much younger than me and there's actually a really similar line in Sabrina with Humphrey Bogart they also have a very massive age difference and at the end of that movie she does pointedly make a line of, oh, you know, if we get together, it'll be a scandal because of our age difference. So I appreciate that in some of these movies, there are some call outs, which I don't think a lot of people recognize. Now, it doesn't happen all the time, but sometimes they're there just depending on who's in it and whatnot. But yeah, and, and again, aging happens so differently back then. His hair was just like a lot more gray, but uh, then yes. again, it's not like they were using like hair dye to make themselves look younger necessarily back then. Oh, yes. And honestly, actually, I believe it. He, I mean, I think he turned down the role at first, too, being like, I'm way too old for this. And <laughs> I think they were even considering having Warren Beatty and Natalie Wood as the mm. pair instead. So that'd be a little bit more, you know, younger because. By then, Cary Grant is a highly seasoned star. This is someone who's been like working for a very long time. So all that being said, I do think they were quite charming together. I do think that they had great chemistry together and they made it work, in my opinion, where I wasn't distracted. No, and honestly, I I didn't mind it at all. I like... I would agree with you. I think that they really had great chemistry. I think it would be one thing if they just clearly disliked each other or they were both just like uncomfortable with the age difference. But I think that they both leaned into it and that's what made it okay. For sure. For sure. For sure. Uh, Moving on with our cast, we have Walter Matthau as Hamilton Bartholomew. Uh, Walter Matthau, incredible actor. We have seen him before in A Face in the Crowd. He was also in the original The Bad News Bears. He was in Fortune Cookie. He uh, originated the role of Oscar Madison on Broadway for The Odd Couple. Yeah, so he's done a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of stuff. We have James Coburn as Tex Pathalo. We have George Kennedy as Herman Scobie. We have Dominique Minot as Sylvie Godel. We have Ned Glass as Leopold W. Gideon. We have Jacques Marin as Inspector Edouard Grandpierre. And we have Paul Boniface as Mr. Felix, the stamp dealer. So it's not a huge cast. It's, it's just the right amount of people, in my opinion. It's great. So this movie is often dubbed the greatest Hitchcock film Hitchcock never made. Now, a lot of people say that because they confuses for Hitchcockian film mainly because Cary Grant is in it. Cary Grant starred in a lot of Hitchcock works. The use of plot twists and mystery, the dark humor with the movie, all of those kind of coincide with the Hitchcock film. Uh, Hitchcock wasn't involved in making this film at all. It has nothing to do with Alfred Hitchcock. And honestly, I've never really understood that 
nickname for this because yeah, it it's kind of Hitchcocky, but like not really. I don't feel like this is Hitchcocky at all. If anything, I kind of feel like it's kind of like how Young Frankenstein is to the Universal horror movies, where it takes elements of that and like plays tribute to it, but then it makes it funny and is in on the joke of like yeah. this is a rom com and silly. Yeah, it feels just like a little too quirky and like lovey for yeah. a Hitchcock film. I don't know if like <laughs> I can't think of a better word than lovey, but like Hitchcock films, like I feel like romance and those movies look a lot different than how this relationship looked. Oh, yeah. This is definitely more of that, like, 60s screwball comedy. I think this is very opening up the portal of the rom-coms you get in the 60s. It's just quirky, silly. Honestly, this kind of reminds me more of Heart to Heart for all of our Heart to Heart (laughs) fans out there. Oh, boy. I mean, not that this is a Heart to Heart episode, but... That started being written, I think, in the early 70s and was originally supposed to be like about a spy couple. So you see sort of this spy narrative being revisited in the 60s and 70s a little bit. A heart to heart wouldn't come out until 1979. Sorry, fans. Great heart to heart trivia. (laughs) I'm not sure. But basically, what is interesting is you do start to see sort of a revisiting of spy movies and stuff in the 60s and 70s and that is kind of like an ode to I think a universal feeling of starting to not take the whole cold war so seriously uh you know in the 40s and 50s we do get a lot of cold war spy movies that are very serious and once we get in the 60s and 70s and onwards those movies start to become a bit more goofy and, you know, poking fun at that genre and how serious that was taken. So that's kind of one other attribute that I feel like this has compared to some of the movies in the decades before. And I almost think it's fun that Cary Grant's in it to kind of show like, a how do I put this? Like a transversing through time you know he was there through a lot of different incarnations of hollywood's directions of seriousness and to see him in something silly that pays homage to some of those more serious plots is cool in my opinion and audrey hepburn is just too charming we get an amazing wardrobe for audrey hepburn as always by givenchy uh absolutely gorgeous And I would say, circling back to this movie's accessibility, one of the most quirky fun facts about this movie is that it wasn't copyrighted properly. They omitted the word copyright or the C symbol or the COPR. It just said who the film was by. And so before 1978, U.S. law required works to include the word copyright or that little C, but Universal forgot to do that, probably due to a clerical error or whatever. Um, So it entered the public domain right away. So anyone can do anything with this movie if they like. Wow, that's such a dub for the public. That's great. (laughs) (laughs) So now that being said... A lot of copies exist of this film, and some of them are lower quality. Some of them are higher quality. 
it, there's so much out there. So maybe when you were looking it up on Amazon, there were just a lot of different varieties of mm. distributed versions of this. Mm-hmm. So it has been widely available for a really, really long time. But basically, you can find the original one. I believe it's the original one on Amazon Prime. Um, you can download it from the Internet Archive. Oh, this is a fun little like loophole, though. While the movie is in the public domain, the music is not. Oh, so, <laughs> the music is protected. So you can't do like necessarily everything with it because the music. That's so tricky. It is tricky. It is tricky. This movie actually, I feel like it's in a few different movies, but the only one coming to mind right now is that it is featured in Pretty Woman. She's watching this during a scene in Pretty Woman, the Julia Roberts character. Wow, I forgot. I have not seen that movie in years, so I forgot all about that. When you watch Pretty Woman again and you hear that ending line of, oh, I love you, Peter, Joshua, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. You'll be able to be like, oh, I know this one. <laughs> I might have to watch it now for that. Exactly. Overall, though, Isabella, what were your thoughts going into this movie? Was this your first time watching it? This was. Uh, I was... Pretty much for any of the movies involved in the March Madness tournament, it was going to be my first time watching, I think, most of them. And so when I saw this one nearing the end, it seemed like this one was eventually going to be the winner, inevitably. So I I was excited. I, I did a little research. It seemed like a good movie. I always love a little Cary Grant action. We all do. We all do. He's so charming. But Yeah, so I was very excited. I didn't know really what to expect going into this since this was my first time, but I love a romance thriller. And this just seemed like it was going to be a very cute movie. And I was, uh, my I would say that my expectations were met, if not exceeded. Well, good. I am so glad. I do think this one is absolutely adorable. Uh, if you like this movie, I'm trying to think of other recommendations. I mean, yeah, maybe it's uh, The Runner-Up, To Catch a Thief would be good. Um, Heart to Heart, the stamp collecting episode. Philately. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is such a fun movie. Let's get right into the rewatch. And I kind of kind of want to like go about this asking a first time watcher how they were taking things so i'm excited to have the experience of a novel viewer and someone who has seen it before and the uncovering of the plot twist perfect yeah so here we go we open up on a train in the countryside of sorts a man is thrown off and presumably killed conflict right off the bat Uh, A lot of people also think that this opening credit sequence is another homage to Hitchcock. It was designed by Maurice Binder. All the different shapes. A a lot of people think it kind of looks like Saul Bass's designs. Uh, Saul Bass did Vertigo amongst a few other ones. But yeah, a lot of people think that geometric shaping is a nod. However, I, I think... This comes off more spoofy to me. I think you listen to the music, kind of see like the, 
even the not that the death is derpy in the beginning, but like everything just kind of feels more silly than serious. It, it's very upbeat. It's very early sixties. It captures that segment of that nineteen sixties decade, um, and I think it clues us in that yes, this is going to be a little bit like mystery crime, but it's going to be a bit more fun. Yeah, I would agree. Like I. I didn't even consider that. I was, well, I just wasn't assuming it was a Hitchcock film because I knew it wasn't. But I will say like the first shot of the guy, his body being thrown off the train. Yeah, I could see that. And like even the title sequence, but it like, it's so bright and colorful. I, it just got me excited. Maybe if it was like dark colors, I would have been like, <laughs> oh boy. No, it's definitely more on like the Scooby-Doo mystery side of things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think it's a good, it's a, good teaser to what's to come uh so now we're in a new location with a glamorous woman in the mountains and a gun is pointed at her and it is a squirt gun ha 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 another clue that this is going to have suspense in it but it's also going to be fun i think that the score also really helps it's a little bit more joking suspense than it is actual suspense Mm -hmm. so uh, yeah, but ultimately we meet this glamorous lady. We find out that she wants a divorce from her secretive, untrustworthy husband. And we see a lot of flirtatiousness going on between this Audrey Hepburn character and the Cary Grant character. She is ready to move on. So here we are. We officially meet Peter Joshua and Regina Lampert. What are your thoughts on them as soon as we meet them? Uh, you know, I'm into it. She's really Done with her husband. She's down to clown. It seems like he's also down. So <laughs> I'm definitely I'm on board. I, I like their I like their back and forth. I I think that they have like fun banter from like the get go, and yeah. So I I'm in, I'm excited. I was excited from the first second of seeing them together. I agree, and I think you can definitely see the sense that she's the pursuer. Which I think is part of the age thing, but then I think it does ultimately tie into the whole movie. Yeah. To be continued. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay. So then it just goes rapid, fast change from there for our poor Reggie Lampert. Reggie gets home. Her friend drops her off. Little Jean Louis wants some stamps. Reggie goes inside. Her apartment is completely cleared out. It has been emptied she has been robbed or something she gets called in by the inspector that shows reggie that her husband is dead so uh ultimately what a what a coincidence hey i mean if she didn't have <laughs> such a solid alibi i would immediately think it was her immediately <laughs> she did have a pretty solid alibi she did i was I think we can go into it being like, okay, she, I mean, and, and she, it's not like she was like, you know, she was bummed about the divorce, but she was like, fine with it. She had every intention of doing it. She wasn't like, oh God, you know, it'd be easier than a divorce if he were dead. <laughs> yeah. And he had the money. It sounded like it did. Yeah. And so I, I, I don't know like not so spoiler spoiler alert but i was always kind of waiting for like the other ball to drop and for it to be like da 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 she had it all set up but mm, i get that i get yeah. that 
That's an interesting perspective. I can I can see that. But um, she has a little heart to heart with the inspector and her answers are sus. Uh, you know, the, the, the inspector starts asking all of these just like not even that personal, just kind of like basic information facts about the guy. Like, you know, is he a wealthy guy? Who's his next of kin after you? Who's his family? Like, blah, 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 blah. And she literally doesn't know. She literally says, I don't know to all of it. Yeah. I mean, marriage sucked. <laughs> I I am so curious. I wish I could have known more details about the relationship. Like, how long were they together for? Did they even live together for any of their marriage or their relationship in general? It was just very odd. And maybe this is moving forward a little bit. And I kind of wish that I wrote notes of what he was asking or what he was saying. I feel like the detective was sharing way too much information with her from the very start it's a murder investigation she should be a suspect even if she does have an alibi and he's sharing everything with her no i feel that and honestly i mean it's been a while since i watched this for the first time but i think when i first watched it i was also kind of like alarm belling like wait a sec you just don't know you don't know anything about your (laughs) Yeah, that like, and see, like, yeah, that was setting off signals for me because obviously she seemed like a sweetheart, but I I don't know. I guess they weren't doing plot twists like that back in the day, but I was really waiting for her to just be like, yeah, she was the one who did it. Going on what you said, though, that the inspector was sharing quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I, I totally see that. From an audience standpoint, I think, though, that this little scene gives us exposure to maybe our first clues as to who did it or what happened. Right. So basically, he goes through the husband's belonging in the uh, the travel bag, and it's there's like a letter to her, a stamped envelope or two or something. A ticket to Venezuela, their apartment key. Uh, and then what do we know? He's got tons of different passports. Man, man, oh, man. Who is this man? She doesn't even know who she married. No, I mean, and I, I feel like my uh, all of like the leads in my brain were going elsewhere. Because as soon as he brought up the CIA, I was like, oh, he was just like an agent for the CIA. And then it's like, no, he actually wasn't. <laughs> okay, well, what are we doing here? <laughs> uh, well, in a strange turn of events, her buddy from the Alps, Peter Joshua, is back in Paris to console her. Awfully convenient and awfully chummy. <laughs> um, immediate, immediate red flag. He's standing <laughs> in the doorway in the shadows lurking like, oh, I'm so sorry. I read about it in the paper. Like, what? Get out. She met him one time, briefly, and she doesn't know this man, and he's just showing up to her house? Yeah, yeah. It, it's all coming together a little too quickly. And, you know, it could one could be like, well, that's a guy who knows what he wants, and the opportunity presented itself. The marriage husband was out of the way. He's hey. just going for it. All I'm saying is that if a man did that to me, I would be severely creeped out and calling the police. You wouldn't have him offer to buy you a hotel room and then uh, go out? <laughs> no. Oh, my gosh. He's, no, he 
is so cute, but he is a walking red flag. I would not trust him. I was not trusting him in this movie at all. Okay, so here we are. We're at this point. Cary Grant, Peter Joshua walks into the apartment. They're looking like they're ready to move on with life. What are your thoughts on him as a suspect at this point in time? Peter Joshua? Yes. Uh, yeah, I was, <laughs> I, was, I was suspicious of him the whole time. The only thing that was kind of maybe working for him in his favor is the fact that at this point in time, he had the alibi. He was also mm. there at the same time. So I was like, okay, pretty convenient that he's there. Nothing to worry about, but it was just so weird how willing he was to just immediately make himself a part of Reggie's life. Just out of the blue. Like, hey, he kn- he was determined. He knew what he wants. But it was just all too convenient, it felt. I agree. He was like, he. I was watching him. He was on my list, for sure. Yeah, I, I feel that completely. Then we go to an awfully pitiful funeral for Charles. No one is there. This movie just has so many witty lines like i love the line of not a very good turnout (laughs) that whole funeral i was cracking up i'm not gonna lie that was quite the comical funeral it was great also i loved his coffin i want my coffin to look like that i want the full-on vampire shaped coffin not these cylinders we're getting today an old school (laughs) medieval looking coffin no, he he had it pretty good. Uh, but what's this? We have some strange men coming to pay their respects or something of the sort. Man number one walks in and sneezes a lot. Oh, oh he sneezes a lot. All right. I mean, I was. Look, I know you and I are both like a little bit of germaphobes. If I was dead in a coffin (laughs) one was sneezing all over me i think i might come back to life (laughs) and kill them just to to smack him around because what sneezing all over him nonstop. it was so terrible but i I couldn't disrespect disrespectful man number two comes in he tells reggie that charlie had no call in doing it that way which like what okay so like this guy clearly knows him so that's something man number three sticks a hole in in charles and storms out yeah i i guess he was just making sure he was dead but what a crazy thing to do at a funeral Good God. Absolutely wild. Absolutely wild. And then we have man number four with a letter from a man at the U.S. Embassy asking Regina to come in the next day from a Hamilton Bartholomew, a desk jockey for the CIA helping agents. Okay, so after this funeral scene, we we meet a few of these men coming into the funeral. Do you think any of these guys do it just based off of the brief impression you met them? Um. Yeah. And if so, which one? Okay. The first guy is just a weirdo. Like, he's just sneezing all over the place. What the hell is he going to do? What harm is he going to cause? He's already sneezing a lot. He'll be fine. So I wasn't suspicious of him. Definitely more so the second and third guy. Obviously, the third guy, he's sticking pins in dead people. So that's yeah. Um It's kind of like, oh, is he there to make sure the job was really done? 
Yeah, like that was that was a little interesting. But the second guy, I don't know. I just did not like his vibe. <laughs> he had bad energy coming in there. Um, bad vibes. So I don't know. I think of those three, the one that I probably trusted the least was the third one. But you know, they they all had their problems. <laughs> they sure did. Well, Reggie it really doesn't have much choice other than to go to the U.S. Embassy the next day to meet with this Mr. Hamilton Bartholomew. And we learned something very interesting. Charles Lampert wasn't Charles Lampert. <gasps> he was Charles Voss and a wanted man by the CIA. Da-da-da. That's crazy. So those men want the money and the U.S government wants the money we learned that her man's was a thief thief indeed and hamilton bartholomew leaves her with the don't tell anyone about this encounter your life could be endangered and so could theirs very very clever i mean maybe (laughs) maybe this was the instance where i thought that he was revealing way too much because i was like what this i think i think it was this situation Oh, yes. Yeah. And in my head, I was like, why is he telling her literally everything? This is so weird. Um, but I didn't think much of it. Oh, yeah. I didn't think anything about it. I getcha. I getcha. Then we get to the Chance d'Elysée scene. Uh, the puppet feeder going on there with Punch and Judy. That is very famous puppet theater in France. Its location hasn't changed since 1818. It's wow. uh, kind of a Punch and Judy is a little bit of like a famous puppet soap opera. <laughs> Wait, oh, wow. Now I get what you mean by uh, it was referencing our uh, game of Trivia Trivial Pursuit. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I The only reason why I even know what that little puppet show is, is because of Gone Girl. So explain to us what happens in Gone Girl with these characters. Well, yeah, in Gone Girl, it's great. So, I mean, I read the book, watched the movie, love both. Both are fantastic. But in that movie, at least, um, they, the I'm trying to think of their names, but the wife in that movie, she goes missing, presumed dead, and everyone suspects it's the husband. And so at one point, you eventually see that he finds a Punch and Judy doll set in his uh i think it was in his sister's garage which was basically like implying that he was being set up and spoiler alert his wife was setting him up because she was still alive and she purposefully went missing to get him to go to jail and eventually get the death penalty so fantastic i love that i know that lore because of that movie and now i'm watching like actually good old movies and seeing that (laughs) I think it's particularly interesting with Gone Girl because the line in this is uh, Reggie's explaining the play to Peter Joshua and she's, you know, translating it. And she's like, well, Punch is just pretending to be dead to teach her a lesson. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, my gosh, that connects exactly with that movie. I, yeah, just great. That's, no, I thought the same thing. Great stuff. Uh Peter Joshua sees she's a little upset. He offers to take her out on a date for some distraction. And in theory, fun and games would be fun. But if I were stressed out, it would be a living hell playing 
body part oranges. It's giving just go with it coconut games. You know, this, yeah, I wrote that down in my notes. Uh, I guess this is the movie that made me think of a lot of other movies. But no, I was thinking of the coconut game and just go with it. A fantastic film. I wouldn't be shocked if that was like paying tribute to this either. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, that game looks very entertaining. It's like slightly different, but it's ba- it's basically like the same thing. Yeah, no, if I if my husband was just murdered and I was fearful that people were after me, I would not want to be touching other random strangers with my neck. Um, but you know, it seems like she's into it. It seems like she's having fun with it. Ah, it's a good time. Um, ironically, though, real life stressors were going on in the real world at this time, especially when this scene was recorded. According to CCM, the same day that this scene was recorded, Kennedy blockaded warships bringing in the missiles to Cuba. Cuban Missile Crisis. (laughs) Um, So with all this going on in the world, a little bit of like, ah, these Americans and Paris. Um, Cary Grant did a lot to try to help everyone feel some levity and some comedy during the filming to take their minds off of the issues at hand. Of course he did. He's a king amongst men. (laughs) Doesn't last long. The fun. The first guy comes out, man number one, he starts asking for money. The second guy pops out being very scary, cornering her in the phone booth, throwing matches at her. That was crazy. (laughs) It was. It sure was. And she starts having a proper nervous breakdown. Oh, my God. I also love the line earlier where she's like, if you're trying to frighten me, you're doing a first-rate job. (laughs) It's like, most people are like, you're trying to scare me. But she's like, yeah, you're scary. (laughs) So it's cute. It's cute. Okay. So at this point, like these men confront you, would you tell Peter Joshua about the situation or would Absolutely. you do his life at risk? That's the only like, fr- that's the only friend that she currently has as that at that time. I would be telling him in a heartbeat. He'll be fine. He'll be okay. I guess it does feel a little bit lower stakes where like, you know, you're going to put your life and their life in danger. I feel like, okay, this guy is clearly wanting to be your friend, but it's like, you know, it's not like Sylvie, your BFF that you're putting in danger. It's a guy you just met. Right. Like she barely knows him. Um, Yeah. Guys are throwing matches at me, lit matches. I'm going to be telling someone about this. I don't care if their life is at risk. So yeah, I mean, I frankly, I don't understand why she left his side for a second, like at first before anything else went down. After those guys confronted her, she should have just stayed with him the whole time. But she didn't know. She didn't know if she could tell him. Hamilton Bartholomew said not to tell anyone. And then we have man number three arriving with a hook hand going through her room. He almost kills her. Yikes. Yikes. And then Peter Joshua gallantly goes to confront the situation. He goes out the window and plot twist number one. Peter Joshua knows all of these guys and he is also trying to get the money as well. What were your thoughts? Yeah, I wrote down I was not shocked. (laughs) I was not. (laughs) Yeah, I wasn't shocked because I it because in my head you have to 
understand. Like, I'm thinking this random guy meets her on a trip by chance. He's just by chance going to the same city as her. He's uh, randomly looking for her to go on dates with her. It's just all too convenient. And it just all comes together too perfectly. And, oh, he's putting his life at risk to protect this random woman from these random guys. No, I I wasn't buying it. I thought it was highly suspicious. So, But the second that he went into the room and they knew him, he knew them, I was like, okay, well, yeah, that makes sense. That answers everything. Interesting. She can't trust anyone but sweet, sweet Regina. She tells Peter that he's the only one she can trust. And then she asks him to never lie to her. Woof. That's uh, not great. (laughs) But honestly, this plot twist doesn't last crazy long because, oh, no, he gets ratted out pretty quickly. Yeah, he did. I mean, because at first when that happened, my brain was kind of all over the place because obviously those other guys sucked except for the first guy the sneezy guy was clearly not a threat but the second <laughs> guy throwing matches at her the third guy physically trying to attack her with his hook hand um but then that guy going back and saying hey this guy's in on it too um i didn't know who to believe i didn't know what was going on i just was like okay all these all these guys did it so how i don't know how but they all did <laughs> it's awfully confusing uh yeah herman calls up says that peter joshua's real name is dial and that peter's in league with them it, yikes 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 where is she going to go next what is she going to do we do get a little homage to hitchcock here with her looking through the people that's very psycho mm-hmm. and then we get him following her out so it's like ooh. You're in danger. So she meets up with her her buddy, Hamilton Bartholomew, and we get some more truths here. We get the full thing. Okay, we learned that, yes, the three men are Herman Scobie, Leopold Gideon. He's the sneeze. Okay, Herman Scobie's the hook hand guy. Leopold Gideon's the sneezy guy. And then Tex Bantholo is the second guy, the match guy. Mm-hmm. Very Texasy guy i'm presuming Mm -hmm. and during world war ii the three of them and charles and a guy named carson dial were assigned to deliver two hundred fifty thousand dollars so around 3.8 million dollars uh to the french resistance but instead stole the money for themselves and in the course of events uh carson dial was supposedly presumably fatally wounded and charles decided to double cross the rest of them and took all the money for himself that they were supposed to split good for him so that is how the money got into his possession that's how it was stolen that's why these guys are after him yes we get more unraveling uh and i just like I love that throughout this movie, we do get a little bit of mood lighteners with little comments that are just kind of fun. Like, uh, do you know how expensive these cigarettes are in the middle of, you know, serious talk and CIO versus CIA and like spies, agents? Yes. The spy versus agent dialogue was really great. 
Um, and that's I this isn't this wasn't even technically supposed to be funny, but like the situation between Bartholomew and Reggie, where like I think Reggie said something along the lines of like, it's just possible. We may have been wrong about who killed your husband. In my head, I was like, is that not your job? Like, <laughs> what? like what are you talking about? <laughs> it's, oh, and I really love the other line of, well, if I'm going to die, I might as well do it for my country. That's the spirit. <laughs> that was great. So it is confirmed Peter Joshua's name is Dial when he checks for his mail and Reggie calls him out on it. However, Peter counters that he is Carson Dial's brother, Alexander Dial, and he wants to bring justice to his brother for them leaving him to die. He says that he's really against them, that he's, you know, kind of a double agent to this crew of guys. It's all a mess. As an audience member watching this for the first time right now, who do you trust? Who do you think killed Charles? I, don't, I trust no one. She, <laughs> she folded so fast for that story. That's insane. If someone is telling me their, their name is one thing and then like a day or two later, it's a different thing. I'm immediately not going to believe them. Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't trust anyone in this situation, I guess, except for Bartholomew, because that seems like the most trustworthy person. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think that she was really falling for his, 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 <laughs> his charisma and I don't blame her, but wow, that was, that, mm, that was something. It was quick. It was quick. Um, <laughs> who do you think killed Charles at this point? At this point, I had no idea who killed Charles. I I mean, I, based off of this, I was kind of still not trusting the Cary Grant character. I'm just going to call him the Cary Grant character. <laughs> there's going to be too many to keep track of. But yeah, I didn't trust him. And at that point, I think... I'm still like thinking like the two of the three guys um, mm. who of the suspects. I, Cause I mean, yeah, th- those were like the main three in my head at that point. What if it was the sneezy guy, the one you least suspect it was never going to be the sneezy <laughs> guy. No. And I, I, I appreciate her thinking. I get that <laughs> thinking like, Oh, it's not the one you most suspect. It's the one you like most medium suspect or least suspect. I get that. And it has worked for some murder mysteries, but it wasn't going to be the sneezy guy. That's for sure. <laughs> well, we get another change of events. Herman and Peter Joshua slash Alexander Dial are fighting on the rooftop. Uh, many compare this scene to North by Northwest and like the hanging on and all that stuff. He leaves them quite literally hanging there. Audrey and Cary Grant have just, just such cute chemistry, but it just so much I you know he gets his whole back clawed and she helps tend to him and again just so many witty little lines of oh you can lie from any position can't you (laughs) that's good and I just I love that despite all the things he's lied about and the things they've been through her first question is like so are you really married not really married (laughs) Are you available? <laughs> that was always a, a cute little thing that they kept going throughout the whole movie. That was fun. 
It's hilarious. Uh, we do get some dated racially charged statements here that aren't good. One thing that this movie has working against it. Uh, yes. I, but then in another shocking turn of events, the evil men phone and they kidnap Jean-Louis. <gasps> the little boy, the one with the squirt gun at the beginning of the movie. Which, okay, it's super cute. I just looked up the cast just so I could have all their names on hand. I didn't realize uh, the little kid who played Jean-Louis, uh, he grew up to be a neurologist. That is so cool. Oh, actually, I think I did read that somewhere in a fun fact where it's like she asks him to like do something constructive instead. And then people are like, oh, he became a doctor. Oh, that is so cute. But yeah, super fun. Just a quick side note. But he is adorable in this movie. He's such a funny little kid. Yeah, I love that he's completely unfazed by being kidnapped. <laughs> yeah, he's. I love how he's like, oh, are you guys cowboys? Like, I don't see a gun. You guys don't have guns to be cowboys. He's asking the real question. Yeah, he's he is really getting to the bottom of things here. Oh, still good. Oh, and then in kind of another fun plot twist, which, again, you really don't know who to trust at this point, but Alexander Dial, formerly Peter Joshua, suggests that one of those guys have it. And then they start turning on each other and start questioning each other, which was that I think, again, I like my mind is a little bit tarnished from having seen this before. But I kind of feel like that's a good move or a, a show in favor to Cary Grant a little bit that his character that he's destabilizing the group and making them turn on each other, which could be one of two things, either revealing something or just getting them preoccupied out of the way of his goal. Pretty much what I was just about to say. Yeah. I, I feel like that definitely could be taken one of two ways. Yeah. Like either he's trying to like manipulate the group, like really get them to show their true colors or just like, kind of protect his own back and just make sure he's covered so that way everyone else turns against each other rather than him and then we get a shock omg herman the hook-handed guy was murdered (gasps) so who are we suspecting that we know it's not herman now i guess one could say or you could guess that herman did it and someone else is covering yeah i mean at that point I, I really didn't know because I, I was trying to think like I was thinking clue style. I was like, okay, who was in what room? You know, this is a little clue-esque yeah. in some ways. Yeah. yeah, like definitely had some notes of clue. I was really trying to think and I was like, eh, whatever. Like, I'm going to need to see another murder to know for sure. <laughs> well, it's I just love the hilarious line. Again, you have that dark humor levity of the inspector. Like getting the info and he's like really a man drowned in his bed in his pajamas <laughs> this so we have two bodies now dead in their pajamas and the french inspector is just not impressed and the whole crew is like i don't know <laughs> and then we get to our other trivia question from the other night the inspector goes you know we use the guillotine in this country for capital punishment oh yeah they do until 1970 something 1977 was the last time the guillotine was used for capital punishment in france which is a lot later than a lot of people would expect yeah what's crazier is that they just did it like on a sidewalk like anyone could just like walk past and see like there are photos from that like event 
which is crazy to me that that was happening in the literal 70s. Brutal. Absolutely brutal. What a, what a wild world. <laughs> Imagine being the last guy to ever be guillotined legally. Uh, you know what's so crazy is like, in so many ways, we make so much progress year by year, decade by decade. And in so many ways, we've lost progress or like haven't evolved as fast or hard as we could. It is kind of funny when you look at certain timestamps, like yeah. the guillotine yeah, was last used in 1977. It's like funny, but not like ha-ha funny. We're so just like sad funny. Uh, so many things that could be applied to, but whom to suspect? So this is where we get a little bit of that women's intuition. She's thinking it's got to be the person you least suspect. Uh, and then she spills her ice cream on him, which was like a, a cute tribute to real life event where she's poured wine on him. Uh, I love the, I love the line where she's like, I'm starved. He's like, well, let me know what you want to eat. And I can pick a suit that matches it. Like, it's so good it's just cute they've got a good relationship the shower scene showering in a suit uh so cute that's a pretty classic scene affiliated with this movie that was charming it is charming and it was actually mutually agreed upon by everyone because Cary Grant was a bit older. He was almost 60. He was a little bit more out of shape. He wasn't the young stud from the 1930s RKO. Hey, now. He's, he's still a silver fox. Hey, I think he's still a silver fox, but he was just like, yeah, I'm going to leave my clothes. <laughs> you know, I think that that was a great choice. Either way, I think that it made for a very cute scene where he was just scrubbing himself with soap in his suit. And, you know, it pays on to the running joke of drip dry suits and all of that. Uh, and another plot twist. Da, da, da. Carson Dial had no brother. Hamilton oh. Bartholomew calls Reggie and gives her this information. So... How can there be an Alexander Dial if Carson Dial had no brother? Who is Cary Grant? If he's not Alexander Dial, not Peter Joshua, do you trust him? At this point, I'm like, I'm sick of it for her. Like, just tell me <laughs> who you are. Like, I wouldn't care. Because who who is it benefiting? Genuinely. Because it's not like he was listed as a suspect according to Bartholomew so it's like who are you I just okay. want to know I have to agree and as counterintuitive and weird as this sounds I almost feel like he is the most trustworthy to me at this point right yes I would agree it feels like he has the most information uh but also like is sticking around the most like it I don't know uh, without anything happening to her. I feel like he's the only one who hasn't threatened her. And yes, that could be a very nice um, way of earning someone's trust. But I don't know. There's something about it. It's almost too wild to make up, like the inspector had said in the earlier scene or later scene. Right. He just like, I don't know. He wasn't pushing as much 
to find the money, obviously, as the other guys were. So that's what just made me think like, okay, what is his end game here? What is he really trying to do? And so I, at that point, while I was, I was more so annoyed than I was untrusting of him. Yes, I, I completely get that. And, and so is Reggie. We get a new identity. He reveals that he's not Peter Joshua. He's not Alexander Dial. He is a man named Adam Canfield. That's a professional thief. And I think that this, again, could be kind of like a self-nod, uh, a nod to Hitchcock works. Very a la to catch a thief, our bracket runner-up champion. Um, and to catch a thief, he plays a former thief. But yeah, you're getting a lot of different kind of identities that tie into, I think, similar ones that you've seen in Alfred Hitchcock movies. Yeah, I could see that. Again, first response, well, is there a Mrs. Canfield? (laughs) I mean, after he went through and told that whole story, I I still didn't believe him. I'm like, all right, well, he's just lying again. That sounded the most unbelievable to me. Yeah. Oh, he's a professional thief? What? I just, I didn't believe him at all, but I was going along with it. I was like, whatever. He's, he's whoever. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, it, it's just so layered. So many lies. Uh, Leopold's sneezy guy gets called down by someone and is murdered. So three murdered now in their pajamas and Tex is missing. That one, that one was crazy. That was a rough murder. That was a rough murder. He did yeah. not deserve to go down that way. No, he just was sneezing a bit. He was sneezing all over the place. He was just a, a sneezy, sneezy guy. He did a little, little mucinex, but other than that, he was so harmless to me. So now we really are kind of, mm, we've got two suspects in mind, I feel like, that are met up. Two men of interest, I think, lined up. We have Tax, who's now missing, and we have Peter Alexander Adam. And Peter Alexander Adam now thinks that Reggie must have the money if they can't find it anywhere. So they're like, they do a little bit of snooping around the bags. There's not a ton to go on, but they go to the marketplace, uh, which was the last known appointment that Charles was supposed to have. And then while they're there at this marketplace, we see a realization from both Tex, who shows up there, and Adam, who shows up there, the stamps stamps the stamps who would have thunk i i'm not gonna lie when that scene happened i was kind of laughing because i forgot about the stamps to be quite honest um i thought they were just getting freaked out by stamps (laughs) no that's i think that's a good mystery to be like okay like what and then also be like oh yeah oh yeah pretty good um yeah adam and tex realized that charles essentially converted the money to extremely expensive stamps and placed them on the envelope that was in the bag however if we recall little jean louis at the beginning of the movie loves collecting stamps and reggie was like here's some stamps and he traded them what a funny kid. Where all the money was stashed. So they've got to find <laughs> these stamps now. And so they do. They meet our little philately expert and uh, learn that those stamps were quite expensive. That is all the money. And 
Yeah, we get a, a, a cute little Easter egg in there. They say Princess Grace commemorative stamp. And obviously that's in reference to Grace Kelly, Princess of Monaco, mm-hmm. a co-star of Cary Grant in To Catch a Thief. Right. That's a fun little thing there. Could be another homage to Hitchcock because she was in a few of his movies. So, yes, there you go. Fun things all around. Yeah. Another plot twist. Tex is murdered. So all three of those strange men from the funeral intro scene are murdered. He wrote out the name Dial. And the only thing that Reggie can figure is that Adam Canfield is really Carson Dial. The the guy that was presumed to be dead. Yeah, at that point, I did revert back to my thinking. I'm, I'm, I just was immediately going along with Reggie's thinking. I'm like, oh, yeah, Cary Grant. He he did it all. He murdered everyone. Because I was thinking, like, who else could it possibly be? And this guy's constantly chasing her around. It's just so suspicious. Okay. I'm trying to explain this in my head. Because, like, I'm I'm working based off of the working plot line mystery of this and also things I know. Right. <laughs> she calls Bartholomew to let him know that Carson Dial's, like, alive and killed these guys. And that, and then Adam tries to yell at her to stop and she, he didn't do it. And she's got to, she's running away from him. Okay. Here's like where I'm like, wait a second. When I watch this, I feel like my assumption would be like, wait a second. He must be Alexander Dial, not Carson Dial, because all those guys knew who Carson Dial was. Why would they not just say he's Carson Dial instead of Alexander Dial? You know, because they would have had to have known Carson Dial from working together during the World War. That is a good point yeah i mean like did they know that he had a brother like what what did they know that's where like my alarm bells would be going off a little bit my thought would have been like wait he's alexander dial and then i would have thought something's up or bartholomew doesn't know something i -hmm. guess would be my thought but anyway uh reggie tries calling the u.s embassy for help and there's confusion The embassy lady calls Mr. Bartholomew, and it is not Mr. Bartholomew. This whole movie has been a series of identity confusion. That, I mean, that was a real mask off moment. I was like, oh my God, (laughs) I can't trust anyone. Um, Yeah, I don't know what I would have done if I was her. Frankly, at that point, I would have been trying to leave the country. Would have been a good call, good call. So we don't know who anybody is at this point. We just know that Dial did it based off of Tex's last written testimony. Mm-hmm. We reach the climax. Reggie runs to meet the man we know as Bartholomew and is followed by Peter Alexander Adam. She has to choose directly between them. Who will she pick? You're Reggie in this situation. You've got the stamps. They're both saying the other one's the bad guy. And you haven't seen, you didn't see that call or anything and Mm. all that. Who are you trusting and why amongst the two? 
I mean, I don't know. Neither. I'm trusting <laughs> neither. But, but like, you're at gunpoint between the two of them. You've got to pick one. Probably Cary Grant because he's handsome. <laughs> but maybe that's like a shallow thing to say. But like, he has been protecting her that entire time. Mm-hmm. So I'm probably going to stick with the guy that has like physically been protecting me in person even though i don't really trust him because i don't really know who he is um but bartholomew in quotation mark um he showed his hand all too quick (laughs) he really sure did i not to skip too far ahead but yeah like i he should have just kept stringing it along saying that he was bartholomew because for all she knew he was so I think that he really that's where he lost you know what I totally agree but thank goodness she chose correctly Hamilton Bartholomew is the real Carson Dial who was left to die and was on this mission to get his money and get his revenge against all those guys and bada bing bada boom Cary Grant was the right one to choose to trust. I think I, I agree. I think if someone was there for me this entire time, despite lying, there's like a gut instinct that they've been more keen on keeping me alive than someone who's been like, don't tell anyone, don't trust anyone, don't this or that. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So pretty, pretty good. All's well that ends well, sort of. She's still preoccupied with the potential love they could have. She asked the Cary Grant character if he cares about her or the money. Because now at this point, she's presuming he's Adam Canfield, the thief, wanting the money. And he's like, oh, I care about the money and you, but I'm having a hard time going to this embassy the next morning. But they, they go, she goes to the embassy to return the money to the rightful person who she's informed is Mr. Crookshank, the treasurer. And as she turns it in, there's Harry Grant again at the desk. And it is so cute. He really works for the government this whole time. He was really sort of an agent of sorts. Aww, like just adorable. And he's really, we find out, really for real, Ryan Crookshank. And I love, <laughs> say it, say it, because the line's too good. No, I, you can say the line. You can say the line. Serves me right. I got stuck with that one. <laughs> Out of all the names. I would be thinking the exact same thing <laughs> as her. Of all the names he could have had. Crookshank? Uh, Brian Crookshank. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Um... Um, I love the derpy face that he made as soon as like she was like, oh my gosh, it's iconic, amazing. That I'm trying, I'm making the face like right now, but I can't. <laughs> Obviously, that doesn't translate over podcast. We'll put it somewhere. <laughs> sure, but not <laughs> mine. So, so cute. It was a very, very cute ending. Like, and I mean, it ties back to the whole running theme of well, is there a Mrs. Crookshank? And there is. But it's his mom. That was so cute. Well, as soon as he said there is, I was like, this little cheater. 
Oh, happy to find that it was just his mom and that just oh it really wrapped together so nicely yeah and she's like well how well i know it's really you and he's like well i'll make sure that the proper name's on the marriage license next week and then it's like oh the marriage license and just iconic ending they they start playing the music and this is the scene that they show in pretty woman uh, uh, so, yeah the, i love how she's like i hope we have all boys for all of his names we that's can name them all so after cute. you that's oh, <laughs> it is one of the best ending line scenes ever and then him being like okay really i need the straps <laughs> it's just it's adorable this movie is too adorable i i just love it it's fun it's sweet it's still fresh after 60 years i just i think it's a great time i really love it it's a good one i this is definitely one that i would rewatch, and even at the end it's so hard because like i i obviously do like old movies um a lot more than my counterpart ben (laughs) um do you think ben would like this well, and so that was the thing. I think that there is a chance that he would like it because I think that he can identify with Cary Grant characters. I think yeah. that's like, I think that's the key to Ben. Besides like old Western movies, I think the key is Cary Grant movies. So I think that this would have been one that he enjoyed actually because this guy, like this Cary Grant character, he's so many different men in one. Um, but I think he's great. And I think that there is a chance that he would have enjoyed it. Very nice. Yes, yes. I I totally agree. Okay, so let me go over, I guess, I guess we should go over some of the like clues, like the hindsight clues. Okay, wait, actually, I didn't even ask you this. Were you surprised that Hamilton Bartholomew was the the murderer the entire time? Like, yes and no. Like, Hmm. in hindsight, totally makes sense. The clues were all there. It, It comes together. But when I was watching it, I I guess I was blindly trusting him too. Like he was the one you least suspect, the least of the least suspects. Yeah, he was at the embassy. He was in the office. Of course, I would have believed it. I would have thought it was suspicious that. um, Oh, which we found out by the way was because it was the embassy's lunch hour that Hamilton Bartholomew, the real security, doesn't lock the door. Yes, I would have thought it was suspicious that, um, like the receptionist, like the assistant, wasn't there. Mm -hmm. Um. But other than that, no, I totally fell for it until the end when I saw the phone call. No, it was a perfectly hidden in plain sight. That That is a big running theme in this movie, hidden in plain sight. So here are some of the clues that I feel like you can kind of like rewatch and pick up on next time you watch it. Um, and I think it's just as effective and adorable rewatching it again, even when you know the mystery. And honestly, sometimes I even think it's more enjoyable. You're not as confused. <laughs> like you can like pick up like, oh, wait, I should have picked up that clue because I think the clues are hidden really, really well. Mm-hmm. So we have the stamp comments at the beginning from Jean-Louis, uh, and as well as learning that there's an envelope with stamps on them from the inspector, the French inspector. Mm hmm. When Hamilton Bartholomew says, don't tell anybody about this. Okay. I feel like that's a little suspicious from a government agent. Like, I don't know. I just kind of feel like they would be like, here's a team of people you can contact. Not just like, trust me, only me, only talk to me sort of deal. Yeah, I think it's like, it's definitely weird to, as like someone who works at the embassy, supposedly, to 
basically just tell this girl to hang in there just keep hanging around these extremely dangerous men who are yeah. threatening to murder her um it, like in what world would that be okay so like i did think that was weird and i was like hell no i don't want to stick <laughs> around like i, I want to leave the country right now i do not want to stay here or like oh we'll give you a safe haven or something. i don't know yeah, like you can stay somewhere safe within like the embassy. I don't know how that works. I've obviously never been in danger like that. But or like they hook up some spy materials to her to like, you know, I don't know. Yeah, attach a attach an agent to her. <laughs> a spy or agent. Um, I think and I don't remember if this is an exact clue, but I feel like the line doesn't exactly go through right away when she's doing the orange game and he's like, you know, call any time day or night. And then when she, okay, this is a good one. When she calls Bartholomew and says like, oh, there's an Alexander dial, like the brother is involved. He's very surprised that another person is involved. Mm. So it does make you think like, okay, that is something to pick up on a little bit where it's like, wait a second. I'm the only other person involved. Who's this other person? But at the time, you th- think it's an inve- him being an investigator, but not really. Yeah, like hence where my thought was like, is this not your your <laughs> literal job to yep. be investigating this stuff? Like, how do you not know this? Oh yeah. Um, and then Bartholomew knew a little too much for my liking when he was explaining the um the espionage situation or like them stealing the money. How like oh. They mm. took the money and then Dial was <laughs> killed and then they all went off and did X, Y, Z. And it's like, how do you know all of this to an extent? I don't know. And like not have arrested these people if you knew them yeah. already. That, that is suspicious. I hadn't thought about it. I was just kind of assuming like I was suspending my typical belief. I'm like, m- like movie map magic everyone just somehow knows everything at all times but it was pretty good and then okay maybe this isn't like a clue but he's the one that introduces the concept that you know they're agents not spies but then he for the rest of the movie confuses and says spies instead of agents after the first differentiation yes that was pretty interesting to me i i did notice that as well yeah. Jean-Louis says he would hide his treasure in the garden if he were to hide a treasure. And the stamps really were hidden in the like the Jardin. Oh. Yeah, so they they that's a good clue. The kid really knew what he was talking about. Mm-hmm. When they constantly say it's always the one you don't suspect. And I think one could honestly look at that and be like, oh, it's the sneezy guy. <laughs> But it was really the one we weren't placing our bets on, mm-hmm. Hamilton Bartholomew. And then, of course, the embassy being confused at the end and all that. Like, yeah, all yeah. that. I think those are some standout ones. But I think there's even more. I think there's even more clues if you're even looking at it for for all this. But wow, what a movie. What a good time. I love this. The woman-led film amongst all these lying <laughs> characters. Lying terrible men. No, it really is honestly a super cute movie. Highly recommend this one um, if you're trying to get a friend into older movies. Because it is, I mean, all for the ending. The ending is just 
too cute. It just it's just so sweet. It's just a sweet movie throughout, and then it ties up in the most beautiful little bow. It is very cute. I would rewatch it. I love it. I love it. Um, highly recommend. Highly recommend. Okay, so we have now come to sort of the end of our episode. And as promised, um, about a month ago, we said we would give some shout outs to recommended women-owned businesses. Uh, So here we go. This is our little spotlight on some of the women-owned businesses that were recommended to us. If you live in one of these cities or close by, go pay a visit, check out some of their products, and support women. Okay, so we have Bison Coffee House in Portland, which is woman-owned and native-owned. We have Farm Girl Flowers in San Francisco. We have Atelier Crenn in San Francisco for a nice dinner. We have Penny Lane Boutique in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. I believe you can buy some other things online as well. If you live in the Denver area, check out the schedule for Bone Appetite, Denver's first dog treat food truck. Uh, if you're looking for a facial or some makeup or some other skincare situations, check out Moy Studio Beauty Salon in Denver. For your vintage clothing needs, you can check out How Sweet It Was Vintage Clothing in Tucson. And while this isn't a women-owned business per se, uh, Tour to Tucson, our friend with the Westmore family, Christiana Benson, uh, works with them and she does so much for them. So if you are looking to register in a bicycle race, definitely check that one out. We have Clementine's Creamery in St. Louis. We have Chicago French Press Coffee in Chicago. (laughs) We have Sweet Maple Cafe in Chicago. And we want to give a shout out to several amazing women teachers with the swim safety program in the Chicagoland area. But we'd like to give a special shout out to check out Child Swimming Lessons with Marie Hansen. That is ISR Swim Safety in the Chicagoland area. Uh, but I believe they're all over. Check them out. NB Goods in Nashville. Uh, Jacqueline's Salon and Day Spa in Treasure Island near Tampa and St. Petersburg, Florida. That is Jacqueline's Salon and Day Spa. Jessica Ream Studio in Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, I believe their stuff is accessible online. Kane's Donuts in Boston. And then for our online shops, Taurus Moon Treehouse on Etsy. Evie Water Resistant Jewelry, which can be found online. That's spelled E-V-I-E. I have some of their jewelry. I'm not going to lie. This is my submission. I absolutely love it. It's it's so great. I get so many compliments on them and it's so price conscious. And then Passion Footwear, P-A-S-H-I-O-N, Passion Footwear online, the convertible heel where you can twist your heels off and dance the night away. So those are some of our women-owned businesses shout outs. Thank you all to those who contributed and shout out your favorites. Obviously, feel free to mention online on social media or comment below on this post if you have one that we missed. Uh, We're all about supporting women-owned businesses. If you like this episode, please share with a friend, give it a thumbs up, give it a like, maybe subscribe to us. We've got great things to come, some cool, fun opportunities on the horizon. And Isabel, where can they find us on social media? They can find us on Instagram at Old Soul Movie Podcast. On Twitter, which unfortunately we're not as active on it anymore. I've 
I've had some difficulty logging on, but that should hopefully be cleared up pretty soon. Uh, but you can find us on Twitter at Old Soul Pod. And on Facebook, you can find us at the Old Soul Movie Podcast. Excellent. Wonderful. Check us out there. Uh, give us a little shout out online. Stay tuned for more fun things like our March Madness poll tournament. We do sometimes put polls out there being like, hey, what movie do you want us to follow? And on that note, I have gotten so many amazing requests. I'm not going to lie. This has been, Isabella can attest, this has been a very busy time in both of our lives. A lot of like great, good things happening. A lot of good things happening, good changes and stuff. But that being said, very busy. Um, So I do need to get organized and figure out when we can get those requested episodes out. Um, But don't be dismayed. It will happen. It just not might be as quick as one would hope. But I'm so excited to hear all these amazing recommendations. We've gotten so many lately, and they're all really, really good ones. So I'm excited to uh, either check out or recheck out some of those suggestions. And yeah, just be a community together, a movie-loving community. Love that. I'm excited. So thank you all so much for joining us on this wild charade adventure. This was Charade 1963. Absolutely a great film, and we will see you next time on the Old Soul Movie Podcast.